Welcome to Don't Say NFT, the show where we don't say NFT. I'm Donnie Clutterbuck, and I'll be your host. Good morning. Good morning if you're on the West Coast, and good afternoon if you're not on the West Coast. Good evening if you're on the other side of the world. My name is Donnie Clutterbuck, and this is Don't Say NFT, episode 12, labeled normies or normal people, muggles, whatever you want to call them. I am so pumped about this. I'm excited that it's the last episode, not because it's over, but because we get to sort of like come to some conclusions and look back at the journey and, you know, analyze what we what we learned, what we didn't learn. And in particular, having two people here who have talked to me almost every day for the last four straight years, and in some cases, every day for the last 39 years, uh, watching my journey through this thing that has treated me both super well and super poorly and added an enormous amount of value to my life, I think, anyway, or given me something to obsess over at very least. And those two people are Brianna, my wife, B would say is her name, she's up on stage, and Elaine, my mother, who looks like a bot also because she doesn't have a profile picture because she doesn't use X or Twitter. And that's a good thing. She's <laughs> She is clean of at least a few forms of social media, despite being hooked into some of the normal ones. Um, although I have some new things to say about Mark Zuckerberg, given the new uh, like digital uh, like video conferencing technology that he was showing on the Lex Friedman podcast the other day. That was insane. I thought he was like an evil, um, maybe evil's not the right word, the leader of a dystopian army kind of is what he felt like to me before. And I now feel like I have a better view of what he's after in some way, even if it's just this one thing that has pointed to that. Uh, we'll get into that later. But that being said, I would like to start out by hanging with my wife and my mother. And that being said, Turk and Barbara, you're up here. You can ask them any questions. You can interject anytime you want, as usual. Uh, Turk, feel free to passionately interrupt anytime you want. I know you like doing that. I like doing it, too. Oh, please, Turk, I saw that. Oh, I was just about to um, honk my horn uh, and just uh, run right through the yeah. crowd beep, beep, uh, digitally, beep. though. I wouldn't want to no. hurt anybody. Yeah. Can, can yeah, you hear so me? I was just beeping. Oh, 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 the you, crowd, oh, yeah. oh, you were doing oh, – because we think you're a computer, Donnie. That's why you were beeping. You, you're not really you know, a person. Um, anyway, I just wanted to say hello. I will be passionately interrupting uh, throughout the uh, the show. Um, I'm glad to be here. I love the uh, – if, if that's your mom, I love her uh, no PFP PFP kind of baller i was actually um, just gonna mention that yeah you know can't say she's a scammer so you know, so it's like the most loving uh non-pfp pfp i've ever seen at any juncture mom, what, what troy is trying to say here by the way mom that's troy troy's one of my friends we're buds um he knows a friend of mine we met because of a person we both know in real life if you can believe that even though here we are on the internet so mom what he's trying to say there's an inside joke about um ordinals which are like you know bitcoin nfts for lack of a better way of saying it in this case there is an early collection one of the first like 5000 things inscribed was this collection called no pfp and it's just the picture that you have is your profile picture which is that like gray background with the nondescript charcoal floating head and body uh someone like made that a very early collection so now people are using this no pfp stand in as an actual profile picture and like paying relatively large sums of money for it. It's kind of, it's an inside joke about an inside joke, but I guess this was a perfect intro to how inaccessible this space can be to people who aren't already obsessed with it because everything's such a, an inside joke all the time. 
So, Mom, uh, just to see if you are familiar with this, can you unmute and say hello? Okay, I'm a little bit intimidated by this, but Mom, I think that worked, and I'll just it's say you. hello to Hi. everyone. Welcome here. This is your first Hi. Twitter space, or X space, and uh, this is what I've been doing for the last bunch of weeks, talking to people on a on an internet platform about things that we do on the internet. And B, I imagine that you are capable of doing the same. Would you like to unmute and say hi just to check in? Okay, cool. Yeah, I just said hi, and I'm jazzed to be here. And then I said, hi, mom. Thank you. I have Thanks. one thing to say and a question, a preliminary question. The first thing to say is that you are not being tested, either of you. There's no wrong answer. Um, if you are unfamiliar with something and you say that, it's not like anyone's going to laugh at you because nobody gives a shit how much you know. We're all just excited to talk to people who oh, don't obsess about this all day so that we can expose inconsistencies and weaknesses in the way that we transmit to, uh, this to other people. So it's not like we're trying to get people into a cult because it's really not – that's not the point. We're trying to make this thing that is of interest accessible to people who might find it interesting not get everyone to use it who doesn't want to. There's a lot of pieces to this puzzle. So that's the first thing I wanted to say. There's no wrong answer and you're not being tested. Before I ask the first question, Moral, welcome up. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I just wanted to comment on maybe you don't want to want them to join a cult, but I definitely do. Counterfeit, please. There is a cult that Moral wants you to join, and it's an art-based cult. So it's really... Uh, I mean, I guess I would say it's harmless on on my side, but that's because I like art. If you're anti-art, it's not harmless at all. Don't join. So the first question is, and I guess I'll start with B. Why not? Do you know what cryptocurrency is? Well, I mean, yes, I, I think so. But that even feels like, I know it's not a trick question. It's not a test. But I have to say, even though I've listened to you talk about this for the last three years, I don't when I try to explain it, say to like my parents or my sister or someone I just met, I like, I definitely stutter step. So cryptocurrency, I guess would just be, it's a form of money on the internet, basically as a summary, but I don't have the really in-depth answer, which feels silly. Cause I feel like I know what it is, but I don't know how to put the words. Isn't that funny? It it's like, um, we use words contextually all the time that we don't ever have to define in any way. You know what I mean? So like coming up with a definition, I know that was really putting you yeah. on the spot, but. Uh... I mean, even if you ask me, like, tell someone what a banana is. Like a fruit that's that even is it a fruit? Difficult. It's like it's a Almost yellow like a root vegetable that grows fruit. on a tree and it's yellow on the outside, right. but really not on the inside. Like it's it's not anything we think it is. So like you're not wrong to. And then it's like, what's a fruit? Well, it's something that that grows that we eat that is not Seeds a vegetable. On the inside. Like it, yeah. you know, like. <laughs> so, mom, what is cryptocurrency? Yes. Well, I don't know that I can answer that question either, but I will say some things that I've been thinking about since listening to all of these podcasts, or actually I haven't listened to all of them. When I first heard about cryptocurrency, I did not know that cryptocurrency was not the same thing as blockchain. I just thought they were the same. And I didn't really understand why anyone would be interested in it since it seemed to me at the time, I might be wrong about this, but it seemed to me that you could invest a lot into cryptocurrency, and if you lost your password or whatever the word is for password, you lost everything. And that seemed like a huge risk that I wasn't willing to take. Second thing I'd like to say is that when I heard about 
Web3 or the metaverse or whatever, if they're both the same, I don't really know. I didn't understand why anyone would be interested in that when we have the whole natural, real world that's beautiful to live in. That being said, after listening to all of you have conversations about really deep thinking things having to do with cryptocurrency, blockchain, Web3, I understand why people are interested, but I also think that I have probably aged out of too lengthy participation in this world. Well, I think, first of all, that is... Man, I didn't expect you to have such a thorough answer to that. Thank Seriously. you for coming here with me. Yeah, right? <laughs> kind of intimidating. To be yeah. Honest. Wow. Well, I, went, I, went, <laughs> I went for a walk today, and this is all I was thinking about is how was I going to participate in this conversation? And those are the thoughts that came into my head. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you're, you're right about all that stuff. And the definitions are I, actually one of my next questions was going to be do you, did, Five years ago, did you think Bitcoin was the word for cryptocurrency? Kind of like how people called Jeeps or every SUV was a Jeep. All tissues are Kleenex. You know, I think a lot of people have this misconception that Bitcoin is the word for cryptocurrency. And not that any of this stuff really matters that much, but that you already kind of answered that for me. You don't think that's true, even though you may have thought that at one point. Cryptocurrency is cryptographically encoded or secured currency and currency doesn't mean money although money is a currency currency is just like an operating token of a system something you pass back and forth to indicate that value is being transferred um, so cryptocurrency is a vague term for something that is like mathematically encrypted and capable of moving something in place of something and we'll get back to that in one second i want to introduce you both to humpty because i don't think you've ever actually met before but b and mom i've talked a lot about humpty as the guy i used to um, run spaces with for ontology over the past bunch of years and one of the people who's really like led me into this space heavily humpty welcome up how do you do jim everyone it's a pleasure to uh finally i guess to digitally meet your wife and mother this is so awesome the provenance of donnie is here one of one Anywho, <laughs> we can get down that rabbit hole. It's, it's okay. I really appreciate the response. I believe it was given by your mom. I, I was switching at the time, so I think it was your mom giving the answer about, or actually, it might have, might have been your wife, uh, that in order to define something, you need to have some contextual understanding of something else. Like when you, you know what cryptocurrency is, and if they would be so kind to give the definition to it, you almost have to know what currency is and what crypto is. Like, so it's it's a really interesting thing. I'm a bit of a word nerd myself, so I'm always studying the etymology of words to try to understand what the root of something is to understand it a little bit better. But really, yeah, that was such a fantastic answer. And again, even being in this space as long as I have, and some of the things that I advocate for, one of the biggest things I advocate for is accessibility. I didn't even think about that. It's like, oh, yeah, like maybe cryptocurrency in itself, just giving an answer to that isn't enough. Let's talk about uh, currencies at large uh, and the role they play in the world of cryptocurrencies. And again, just to kind of show you a bit, this is one of the biggest reasons why I'm a big fan of what you do in this entire series that you put together. Because it's like, look, we can talk about NFTs, but we won't. Let's talk about all the contextual things that make up this cool world of nfts and then let's unpack this later on so just wanted to say hey thank you and i'm excited to be up here on this panel today cheers 
Humpty, thanks. And your car speaker is working just fine. Um, it sounds worse than your AirPods, but you're perfectly legible. And thanks for thanks for popping up, man. And uh, I'm really, it feels like introducing old friends to one another. I think that both B and my mom know a lot about you. And I think you've heard a lot about both of them. So like, welcome together, family, to some degree, right? Um, so now you know what cryptocurrency is, more or less, right? We've, di we've divided that word up a little bit. And one of the main tenants of what I've been saying over the like leading of the couple of weeks leading up to this episode has been that talking someone into participating in something isn't first of all it's not a long-term way of getting participation like I could I could incentivize you mom and wife to like get a Twitter account and join some discord servers and talk to people about this stuff and like change your PF your profile picture which is the way that we see you on this right now the bubble um, change the the look of how you are to represent how you want to be perceived and like do all this stuff. But that doesn't mean you're going to want to keep doing it. And me talking you into playing sorry, you know, the board game with me doesn't mean you're going to go home and play sorry with someone else because maybe you're not drawn to that or maybe you don't think it solves a problem for you or something like that. And mom, you brought up one of the best points so far, something that Humpty and I have been talking about for years, the on-ramping of people from the traditional finance world into the cryptocurrency world is really difficult if you're to actually set foot into cryptocurrency, into like self-custody and self-storage. The things that you just said were kind of scary because you're right, they are. So when you have money in your bank account, the money that's in your bank account is stored by the bank and the bank is able not just to insure it. So like if it gets stolen, they can replace it for you. But if they go out of business for some reason and they don't get the bailout funds that are meant to be or something like that, you can just lose your money because you don't physically have any of it. Cryptocurrency, we all talk about this all the time. We love self-storage. We love self-custody. We want to own our stuff. But unfortunately, for everybody who doesn't want to do insane amounts of research about how to keep your stuff safe, you can lose it. You can lose it pretty easily. Brianna, you had a wallet that had like a monkey NFT in it. Do you still have that seed phrase? Oh, my God. Of course not. Why would you? No. How could you be expected to? You don't have any of the passwords. Like our system in daily life isn't set up for that because you don't need to remember remember any of your passwords because they're all stored somewhere in a computer that you can just reload it. And if it's not and you forget it, you can just click the reset button, change your password via a series of authentications. Like, you know, you get an email, you get a text, you have to respond with a number. They know it's you. Now they'll let you reset your password. In the case of, let's say, just specifically Bitcoin, there is no they. There isn't a third party through which you can confirm and change these things. You just have to, like, know it and keep it and forever. And that, that's a huge barrier of entry. So, Mom, to go back to why or the, the fact that this is scary to you, do you like the idea more as an intermediary of just buying Bitcoin on, let's say, Coinbase, one of those, like... Um, like a like a third party, it's essentially a bank for cryptocurrency, if we're to talk, call it that. Um, if you could just buy Bitcoin on crypto on a, on Coinbase and leave it there for a while until you become incrementally more comfortable with seed phrase storage, would you? Well, I do. I mean, we do own some cryptocurrency, but I don't. In my life, it doesn't really have any particular use. I guess the um, paradox that I have noticed is that this is supposed to be the most secure way to manage your 
stuff, whatever you want stuff to be. But if you lose your one little important thing, you lose everything. Dude, yeah. Hump, and so, that, doesn't, hump, that doesn't seem super secure to me. So I, I wonder about that. It's really secure from the other angles. It's not secure from that angle. So like but, secure just means no one can steal it from you, kind of. But you can you can lose it. Like You can steal it from yourself. So I never yeah. thought of this, but I guess security means from both angles. Are you secure in the way that you've stored it? Not from attack, but from personal loss. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a really big deal. That's that's the method that I use, I'm used to it. But I just want to say that in all of these episodes, and then also in the most recent science fiction book that I was reading, I have come to feel that the blockchain is way more than cryptocurrency. There's way more to it than that. And it is, uh, when you have the, podcast about reputation and community and those those are the things that i feel are going to be the most important not the currency part of it i think before we go to native bitcoin um i just wanted to say that you're totally right it's not just about cryptocurrency cryptocurrency is like it's like saying the u.s economy or the global economy is just about the u.s dollar the u.s dollar facilitates a lot of these things but it doesn't make them they make themselves and then we like exchange them and operate them based on this thing so that I want to go back to what the book you were just talking about right after we go to Native Bitcoin, because that I found that like it couldn't have happened at a weirder time that you happened to be reading a book where like blockchain saves the world or t- saves humanity from itself. Yes. Um, I, and I, like I, we didn't plan this at all. It sounds like we did. Native Bitcoin, what's up? Hey, what's up, guys? <clears throat> Happy to be here. Um, man, I love these conversations. Uh, I just wanted to say. I, I think it's good, uh, you know, that if you lose it, you know, you lose everything because it is a big responsibility, um, you know, the autonomy and the self-custody. And um, I just think of it like somebody who would, you know, own a gun or I mean, even like my toddler, you know, like if I lose my toddler, it's a wrap, you know, like I can't, uh, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's just uh, it's a big responsibility. I agree. And I think it should be stay that way. Yeah, with great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man's dad or mom or aunt or whoever said that was right. Uncle. And, yeah, uncle. That's I just said everything except uncle. Thanks, Barbara. <laughs> it's uh we we don't take those those like mantras that we get. Spider-Man's from uncle. dad on photo of the week. Uncle Ben, I thought that was a rice, not a person. I always why is that a rice also? Why do, couldn't they have come up with a better name? Anyway. Uh thanks. Thanks, Native. So mom doesn't want to use cryptocurrency, rather doesn't see the point of using cryptocurrency because it doesn't change her everyday life. And I think against what I would want to believe, I think you're right about that. I don't think there's a lot currently built that will change the way that you do anything. And I think until this like seed phrase debacle is solved, it's going to be really difficult. And I think I remember like a year and a half ago, someone was saying that onboarding the next the next billion users of Web3 or crypto technology, blockchain, I guess, won't even know they're using it. And I think that phrase goes a long way because it has to be sort of common. The The approach has to be something that makes sense to people. It can't just be like, here, everyone go learn this new technology that is you know, totally in your hands and you're used to being able to screw up, but now you can't. There has to be some sort of an intermediary that's recoverable. And uh, you're right, we're not in that place yet. Yeah, Native. Yeah, just real quick, I wanted to say that I'm not in, or I've been dropping in 
some more dev spaces recently and uh, specifically devs that are working on wallets and um, something that's been being talked about is like the ability to um, custody your seed phrase with like a trusted wallet so like if you you know uh, maybe your mom uh, delegates you as somebody who uh, who has trusted access and you know if she ever loses her seed phrase um, you would just have to sign on your end to release it to her or something like that uh, just something that's been being talked about in these circles that i've been hearing yeah social recovery and fractionalization seem to be being used a lot well i mean social recovery seems to be under development fractionalization is actually being used by ledger and we can go further into that in uh, in just a bit humpty i'm curious what you have to say about this this is kind of your wheelhouse one of the things that I think isn't talked enough about, but I have seen at least a little bit more discussion on recently is smart accounts and particularly smart contracts accounts like multi-sigs. And I know I'm throwing a bunch of like jargon here, so I apologize for that for anybody who's like, you know, this is supposed to be about the normies. But really, it's for all intents and purposes is a shared account across multiple different uh, users. So the, if you can think of it this way, you have a bank account to which there are anywhere between more than one, or actually you could have one, but that would just be a normal bank account, uh, anywhere between two or more users that can sign uh, and say, hey, uh, it is okay to use these funds in a certain way or assets in a certain way. So the really strength of these smart accounts come from, come from, comes from the ability to add more people to it. So say there is you, your wife, and your mom, you all comprise one account together, and of that, you say, well, we need at least two people to say that it's okay to do something with these with these assets, you know. And so you all three agree on on that by becoming part of that uh, bank account. That is, I think, a hugely underutilized kind of resource in this space. And I think it really could allow uh, for people who are unfamiliar and uh, probably uncomfortable with the idea of owning these assets in a way where they're fully responsible for them and could be lost at any given moment where they can say, okay, I understand this idea of ownership, but I am risk averse. and I don't want to be fully responsible for this. I think that's a really interesting one and agreed also on the other one with social recoverability. I think that that's something that's been being developed for quite some time, but has gotten very little adoption. I think maybe it's just too small a niche the people that are working on it or the applications of them too, which I think is a huge important piece of it. It's not just about the infrastructure, but the application layer of all of this development. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point. And uh, Mon, this might make you feel a little bit better about it. So the two things I was talking about earlier, one is social recovery, which is basically when a whole network of people that you have confirmed that you know and they have confirmed that they know you, if you lose your wallet, you can ask them all if you're you, they'll all say yes and it'll spit back a, a new seed phrase or a new gate in or your original seed phrase or whatever. So like since our, our world is now built around this culture of, of like internet familiarity, there are very few people who don't know dozens of people on the internet or at least like feel like they know dozens of people on the internet. So I think it would be rather easy in the coming five or 10 years, which as you said, maybe your duration of wanting to use this stuff is kind of short anyway. So like, you know, what do you care in a way? And I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. I mean, like, I get it. You're, you're, you're 73, is it? And you're like, what am I going to, you know, if, if this is going to happen in 50 years, what the hell do I care if it happens or not? 
I don't know. Actually, I don't know if there is a, a good answer for that, and I'm not trying to convince you there is. But the fact that you've even thought about that is exciting to me. I am really pleased that you all are thinking about this and managing it and figuring out how it's going to make the world a better place. But I sort of think of this, this may be a silly analogy, but do you remember, Donnie, your grandmother, who was older than uh, us, obviously, Quite. had a radio and she used the radio and she liked the radio and the music mm-hmm. made her happy, but she, exactly never, she never learned how to tune into a different station. <laughs> And she didn't need to, and it was fine with her. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. Kind of the way I feel about this, that it's a huge technology that requires a huge investment of time and thought power and heart to really understand and use, and it's going to be wonderful for people in the future, but I don't think I'm going to be invested in it long enough for me to put all that time and energy into it. That's a really good point. Uh, the the point that uh, Humpty, before I go to the hands, uh, Humpty brought up a multi-sig. And in case you don't know what a multi-sig is, he, he sort of mentioned that it's a wallet that many people have custody over. And it requires a certain number of them to get in. Native Bitcoin is making a cry face. He doesn't like multi-sigs. I, <laughs> I can't wait to hear later why that is. Um, so a multi-sig would be like if me, you, Dad, B, and Marshall, all five of us had, we were on a you know, a list that allows us access to this wallet. Every time the wallet needs to move something or do something, three out of five of us have to sign in on it. And it doesn't have to happen all at the same time. You can all just over the course of a day or a week or whatever, um, check and say, yes, I do approve this movement of funds. And what this can do is like, mom, if you have uh, a nest egg of 10 Bitcoin that you just like if you have it in a wallet and you die and you wanted to leave that to someone else, but you don't want to have anyone else have your seed phrase because they can then move it around or you can lose it or something like that. If you had 10 Bitcoin, you wanted to give it to me, which I will gladly accept. If this is the case, let's work on this tomorrow. Um, only three of us would have to be alive and still using the multi-sig to be able to pass this on. So you could have like potentially family wealth that's passed down amongst 15 signers on a multi-sig where 10 of those people have to be left over or, you know, a majority. So like nine or whatever it would be out of 15 um, in order to pass this on, which means you don't have to rely on, I guess, banks to figure this stuff out or lawyers, because you can just do it yourself using algorithm or software that's unbiased entirely. So like that, maybe that doesn't affect you in this particular case, but it could affect people like you who are just sort of feel like they're on the way out of, not of the world, you're not like dying right now. I mean, like you're on the way out of your interest in technological advancement because you don't feel it's really necessary that you partake in it or even effective, right? Well, yes, I don't feel like I am on the way out from it. I'm very interested in it still. And I think there's a lot of people my age who are less savvy than I am about it, but I have other things that I am interested in and want to accomplish, and I'm happy to let those of you who are very knowledgeable and thoughtful do that heavy lifting. That's the most reasonable thing I've heard in about six months, Ma. Thanks. Humpty, you had your hand up? Oh, yeah. I was just going to share an anecdote to kind of support what Elaine was saying, and that is my dad, uh, longtime shoemaker. Uh, I'm really proud of the work he's done. Uh, he's kind of worked in quite a, a few different industries, both like making shoes for the stars, but also making uh, shoes and prosthetic parts for veterans. So he kind of went through the whole range. Uh, but a lot of that work is very analog, you know, at least for the longest time, you know, cobbling shoes is was a matter of like 
you, you know, kind of knowing how to work with leather, um, you know, kind of being able to like create a shoe that fits and stylish. There's a lot of different things that are involved in shoemaking. But the one thing that is not involved is using a computer. And one of the last things my dad did before retiring was contributing or flicking <laughs> me up but too, too, too deep down the Dow rabbit hole. He was not contributing. He was working for the VA uh, hospital. So the Veterans of Hospital making prosthetic parts for uh, veterans and, and shoes that then uh, fit them. They finally uh, were pushing this idea of using computers, uh, obviously a ledger, better uh, kind of tracking of, of logistics. It makes sense. when push came to shove and there was no going around being able to use a computer. My dad said, I'm retiring. So, <laughs> you know, I think that little anecdote there just goes to share. I think there's a group of people that say, look, you can push all this technology on us and it absolutely makes a lot of sense, but that's not something that is either in my wheelhouse or I care to add to my wheelhouse. So I think it's extraordinary that we understand also kind of like the boundaries of what we're interested in. And for us developing the technology, as Lane said, to fully do so in a responsible and meaningful manner. And by the time that it gets to someone like Elaine, uh, you know, 10, 15 years down the line, this is hopefully going to be done in a way that's completely abstracted. Did I rug or did you rug? I think he rugged. Yeah, I don't even know what rug means. Rug, oh, guess, mom, <laughs> look at this. Okay, so this is something else I wanted to get to, the lexicon of words that we don't, understand let's okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna write that down real quick words um what humpty was saying is that things are going to be easier and more familiar and the hurdles like um if you have the option to get a bank account where you just sign up like you normally do and then you have an option to get a bank account that requires you to do one extra step uh entropy you're going to do the thing that requires less steps right and that's what the convent the, the traditional banking system is it's the thing that requires fewer steps as soon as this world that we interact with and really want to be the primary way that people interact with finance and ownership as soon as this is as easy as that more people will be able to do it there might be some misgivings there might be some things we have to sacrifice along the way hopefully not hopefully the development occurs in a way that allows the security to be the same. Um, humans are incredible creatures. We'll figure it out. So the words rug, mom, it's called, it's rug is short for rug pull. And it's when you get the rug pulled out from under you. Like, so Humpty had service and now he doesn't. He was, he was rugged. He has been rug pulled. Does that make sense? Okay, simple. There is a ton of jargon that makes it very confusing for newcomers. And I've been fortunate totally. to have you as kind of my like walking, talking dictionary, which is convenient. But even then, there are times you give me a general definition of one word or the, the concept behind it. And that brings along five more words or concepts that I don't understand and have to deep dive into. And I think it's like, in some ways, that's a huge barrier of entry. It's a massive mm -hmm. hurdle. Uh, yeah, hurdle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mom, did you say that you wrote down a whole bunch of words from the first? This is going to be super fun for me because I don't know what no one, what what other people don't know because I know it now. Did you say you wrote down words? Oh yeah. Oh, I hit me. It. Let's do this. Really? You want Let's make it word time. Yeah. I'll give you list. part of the Give list. us the word. Okay. No. How long the... was the list? It can't be that long. Well, at first I had PFP, but now I know what a PFP is. I made sure to do, to say PFP and then profile picture. Yes. For the so... sake of that, I knew that was going to be a question. I don't understand the definitions of ordinals, inscribing, Ooh. indexing, 
even Ooh. Web3. Ooh, oh my God, neither do I. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is really exciting. We're going to go backwards on this one. Web3. Um, there are a lot of different ways to say this. Some people say Web 3.0. Web 3.0. Humpty will know these answers better than I will, but I will say that Web 3, generally speaking, refers to not Web 2 or Web 1. Web 1 was when the internet was read-only. You could navigate to a website and you could read from it, but you couldn't interact with it in any way. Web 2 was basically what social media is doing, where you can post things. You can like it's a two-way street. You can add content to the internet from your home computer. Web3 is where all of that is possible, but everything is stored in many places all at the same time. And it's essentially the decentralization of the existing Web2 internet, more or less, like in, in some shorter way of saying it. And Humpty, feel free to speak up if I'm butchering that in any way. Um, but the concept here is that no one point of failure exists, where things aren't stored on one server or many servers owned by one person, they're ideally stored on many servers owned by many people. And servers are just computers meant for the sake of data storage. So if everything is stored everywhere, no one can uh, censor it. No one can do a book burning and decide to delete content that they don't agree with. Um, this is It sort of makes the world immutable. Or in other words, it makes it such that no single party can stop any other party from saying something or reading something someone else is. Donnie, I Index can't believe you said immutable when she's... Because <laughs> oh, she doesn't know what immutable means. I think I explained what immutable was after that. Immutable means not able to be muted. I you know, know you that's, can't... A, that's a normal word that has a definition that I understand. <laughs> or so is ordinals, and so is inscribing. But contextually, you're right, they don't make any sense. Same thing with indexing, right? So yeah. indexing is when you have a thing, like a like a robot that reads pieces of data and organizes them into something that is uh, capable of being output in a legible manner. So an indexer is something that finds, in this case, ordinals, and it, based on the conversation you're talking about, finds ordinals and then assigns them all a number that is legible across everyone's understanding of this thing. It's kind of like using the Dewey Decimal System to organize a library. The indexer is the person who puts those labels on and ensures that those labels stay on those books so that you can find the book when you're looking for it. Does that make sense? Sure, and then anyone else can find it too. That's a very good idea. Exactly, and the, the cool thing about indexers, for a while there, people were saying indexers are centralized because individual companies or people build indexing systems or run indexers for this. But if everyone begins to run their own indexer or build separate versions of indexers, we've, we come closer to the truth by having people recognize and adopt systems of indexing that make the most sense. So it's not that indexing occurs from one place, it's that indexing can occur from any place and it's up to us decide what to decide what's true. As is always the case with the human race, we always vote with our time, money and energy. And whoever pays attention to this series of indexing is what becomes the truth, which is really cool. It's like the most democratic thing that could possibly exist for better or worse, whether you like that or not. We're gonna go into ordinals and, and inscriptions after Humpty, because I'm sure this is relevant. What's up Humpty? Thank you so much. And hopefully I didn't get rugged too terribly because I, uh, I I had to jump off and jump back on. Anywho, I just wanted to uh, add just one more thing to the Web3 conversation. Think of it as a marketing term. <laughs> the web is the web is the web is the web, right? You go to www. You're on the web, right? You're browsing the internet, which in itself is a whole separate conversation. But as far as like what Web3 is, it's just an evolution of the web as we know it today. The web one is, I think, commonly understood to be the static web. 
So you can go and create a website, <clears throat> but there was very little that you can do on top of that website. Web 2 was a dynamic web, is what you saw happening where like, you had marketplaces being developed like from Amazon, and you had social platforms being developed by Facebook. Um, web 2 is definitely a, a, an iteration in, in, in a certain direction that I think some might say maybe took away a little bit away from what Web 1 was, which was about decentralization, about empowering people by providing them a platform on which they can build, uh, you know, create value. Web3 is kind of hearkening back to what that ethos was, uh, where there's this idea of ownership, and uh, but, but adding a level of composability to that, meaning adding a level of, you know, these things, these, these different primitives that exist uh, on the blockchain, such as NFTs, such as cryptocurrencies, you know, and then decentralized data. So a lot of the data that exists in Web1 and Web2 tends to be siloed, whereas in Web3, it's open. Uh, it is it is something that you can build with, uh, then creating new experiences using all of these different uh, primitives to create something that is further useful to a segment of users and, and you know in, in this new web. Hopefully, that also added a little bit of uh, not uh, cause more confusion. Hopefully, not the latter than more of the former. It's the yeah, it's the evolution of the web. It's the the next step to solving the problems that we've either created or were pre existing. And opening up the ability to do, to act in a stronger and more fluid manner, something like that across across a population. It's really difficult, Mom. That's a great question because it is difficult to make like a one sentence definition for it that really makes any sense without a huge amount of knowledge in advance. Um, well, I, which brings, I, it, yeah, go ahead. I think it's really interesting, and I just in an analogy, I would say that. We used to live in small groups as humans, and then we moved into cities. And you now on the Web3 have a community of people that is very broad, spread out, I assume, across many countries or at least large geographical places that is trying to accomplish some things that my world community would be all much very geographically close. And it provides so many more opportunities. I'm very excited that you're doing this. That's something that Brianna and I were talking about yesterday. I think it was Brianna and I. We were, yeah, we were talking about Zuckerberg's new way of video conferencing that's insanely high resolution. <clears throat> and we were trying to decide whether or not this was good or bad. And I know that's like a weird, binary, impossible question to answer. But if it inclines people to not leave their homes more and interact with actual people, there is a piece of that that we're missing. We're missing <clears throat> potentially micro-expression or smells or surroundings when we like go out to lunch and stuff like that but really those things are becoming so integrated into digital life that we may end up with all of the benefits of in-person interaction but the benefit the added benefit of having zero geographic restriction so i can be friends with and talk to regularly not by sending a letter back and forth once a week to someone who's a pen pal in japan but like i can just call them up and see them in front of me immediately and even eventually potentially smell however it is that they smell, because I know we don't like to think about this, but like it's a part of the way that we read and understand people and decide with whom to interact is like, you know, biological compatibility. The point I think was that you're right. It is cool that we've opened up this geographic restriction, but your other point stands that you get to go hang out in person with people, which I don't really. Humpty and I get to do this like several times a year where we get to be in the same room and hang out. And it is markedly different than doing things like this. These are cool. These are really fun, and it's a good solution for the meantime. 
but it's not a direct replacement for in-person interactions. You can get so much more of a feel for what someone's saying based on everything else that they're doing at the time of the words. You know, it's like reading a, a novel or something. You, you really have, you have to fill in the blanks with your head. And when we're doing that this way, we have the potential to misread people because the data is not there, so we're just making it up. Um, that seems to be phasing out, and this lack of geographic restriction may just take over and make us this like one singular blob that's that humanity. Yeah, right. Humanity. Finally, we can be humanity instead of like Germans and Italians and Greeks. But still, we will live in those geographic locations, and there still will be geographic specific cultural units, at least for now, because you still have to go to the grocery store. Well, I guess you really don't have to go to this grocery store. You never really have to leave your house, do you? No, but somebody so, has to go to the grocery store. That's well for now. Yeah, until the drones take over, until you know the ghost of Steve Jobs is flying. Bezos' drones around doing whatever it is that, you know what I mean? Like it's, it is all coming to this thing. And I guess what we can call that thing is the singularity where humans become one with technology and a lot of the restrictions and thereby mandatory interactions we have kind of go away. Humpty, what up? Yeah, I think you're alluding to network states, which I think Balaji did a tremendous job of kind of uh, delineating uh, in that book or you know piece that he wrote last year. I think it has been hugely inspirational to think about the way the world could look, right? Because a lot of this is uh, very subjective, the way the, w- the world could look if we uh, continue to build these communities that are digital first uh, and physical second, meaning while we do uh, have a place where our body exists, uh, there is still uh, you know, a way to kind of first build uh, kind of groups of, with whom we resonate uh, and also, uh, you know, kind of uh, in, engage with and work with, uh, which are primarily digital. And I think that there's a lot of really cool things that then get to be explored when we consider uh, a world that is that is built that way. We could say that this provides us a choice. We're being born in Buffalo, New York was not a choice I made. It was just what I happened to be doing. So the people around me were my friends and compatriots by accident. But the people in this area, the Web3 area, um, these are more of a choice. Everybody who's shown up here today uh, is a person that I've bumped into and like gotten along with or saw value in or, or something or they've seen value in me. These are all decisions we get to make where the geographic limits we previously faced did not. So I'll say that's one main benefit. And this has been happening for a long time. Like AOL Instant Messenger was a version of this. It just wasn't quite as interactive because the internet wasn't as advanced at that point. We had to like dial in on a phone and it was slow. The data had to be low, you know. So yeah, moving forward, we're doing this stuff. It's fun. Um, The thing I wanted to say before we move on to potentially that book you were talking about, mom, or wherever we want to go with this, really, there's no... There never really is a way this is supposed to go. This is just, it's a show. <laughs> just like every other space we run, it's like, unless it's an interview, it's a show about nothing until it's about something. And we're always figuring that out as we go. So ordinal and inscribe. Mom, those were the last two words on your list, right? Yes. Cool. Um, ordinal. In order to understand what an ordinal is, we have to go back to the word NFT real quick. So when you are operating on the Ethereum or Solana blockchains, and you want to make a JPEG or a token or an access something or other piece of art, let's just say, let's say it's a piece of art. You would mint that piece of art in, from a JPEG into a token that exists on Solana, but separately from the currency that Solana operates on. 
So Solana operates on SOL. That's the ticker for their currency. All of the NFTs that are on Solana are not on those pieces of money that operate Solana or those pieces of currency that operate Solana. They're fabricated as separate tokens, and it's quite the same for Ethereum. So we call them non-fungible tokens, and they're non-fungible tokens because the rest of the tokens are fungible. You can break down Solana into little teeny tiny, like hundreds of millions of a piece, and same thing with Ethereum. You can go down many decimal points on that. But these JPEGs, you can't. And JPEGs are, Mama, JPEG is .jpeg. It's like a file storage system for... Right, I understand yeah. that. Okay, cool. I don't I don't know how much you know of this stuff. I don't even know how to define JPEG, honestly. You saw me just fuck that up right now. Me too, but so, I know what it is. <laughs> good. So when you make a piece of art on Solana, you're making a new token that was not pre-existing on the blockchain. When you make an ordinal or an inscription on Bitcoin, when you're doing quite the same thing and you want to put a JPEG onto Bitcoin, you have to inscribe that, which is the process of adding data to the blockchain. You have to inscribe it onto an ordinal. And an ordinal is the smallest possible piece of Bitcoin labeled as a numbered system. So there are sats or satoshis is what they're called. They're one one hundred millionth of a Bitcoin. You are putting that data or attaching that data to one pre-existing Satoshi. That Satoshi is now an ordinal because it's been numbered amongst all of the other Satoshis because they don't come out with numbers on them. There's just, you know, trillions of them floating around out there. So we've decided to number them all for the sake of indexing. When they've been indexed, which they all have at this point, it's an ordinal. And when you inscribe onto that, you have an inscription on that ordinal. Does that make sense? It's a little more clear, yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's kind of it's kind of confusing. It's it a lot. It took me eight straight months to figure that out. So, And I still have a pretty not whole understanding of it. But every time you inscribe data onto a Satoshi, you're inscribing that onto an ordinal. Because an ordinal, ordinal I think that the word technically just means like a, a piece of an ordered system or something like that. So like or, ordinals are not unique to Bitcoin. We are just using the word ordinal in order to indicate that we've set these Satoshis out, and we've given them all serial numbers so that we can refer to them. That's all that means. Okay, right. It is an ordinal is a mathematical term, but right. it does make more sense now. Got it. So it's serial numbering the pre-existing pieces of Bitcoin that we put information onto. Whereas with Solana and Ethereum, there are new tokens spun up just for these JPEGs. They carry them around like a, like a raft. You make a new raft every time you have to put a picture on it. On Bitcoin, the rafts are all pre-existing, and we we have labeled them, making them now referred to as ordinals. Um, so new tokens are not made when JPEGs are made or stored on Bitcoin. It's all on pre-existing currency, which adds a dynamic to it that I don't think any other system has figured out how to. Like it, it's like it's like scribbling on money, I guess is what you could say. When you inscribe on an ordinal, you are permanently scribbling onto money uh, on the Bitcoin blockchain that already exists. Cool. Yeah. Rock and roll. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, do you do you have any specific it's, questions? It's, it's as clear as it's going to be. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Well, you're going to, you know, I'll be talking about this for the next, you know, 40 years of my life. So feel free to ask <laughs> next time we're at dinner or lunch or whatever. And you know, uh, B, did you have any questions about this before we move on? Yeah. Not even specific questions so much as reassurance uh, for mom here, because I think it's, this is something Donnie has explained to me now what two dozen times i think we we go through this <laughs> probably a lot um 
some of that's because you'll forget that you explained it to me and some of it's because you Most explained it. it to me and I'm still confused and I have to uh, I go wait explain that again or what's this mean again and you kind of go back down the path um and so I guess really it's just it's just difficult it's it is difficult to follow and understand and every time you have one question answered you have 12 more questions to ask you said the same thing when you were learning about wine like the more you learned about wine oh, the more you realize you don't know yes thank you i'm like having a brain melt that dunning kruger effect is when you learn yes. a little bit about something you learn that something exists so you think you know everything about it and then you learn that you don't know most much about it because you learn so much more about it it's like seeing yes. you, you found a house on a block and you're like i know everything about this house i just found it and then you take one step inside and realize that there are more rooms than you thought. And you go, oh, shit. I actually knew way less than I thought I knew about it. And yeah. that is the journey you've watched me go down for the last three years. A hundred percent. And that's, I mean, that's applicable in a lot of things. I felt that with like house plans to then trying to have an outdoor garden. Like it, that happens with anything that has an abundance of information. But I think more so in this realm than just about anything else. There is a lot to know and there's a lot to um, I, I am actually nervous for the next bull run. And mom, if you don't know what a bull run is or a bear market, do you know? Wait, do you know those terms? This is kind of a fun one. She must. No. I know those terms. It's not really something that I am intimately familiar with, but I, yeah. I have a sense of what they mean. I just wanted to say something that I I think that evolutionarily your brains, meaning those of you who have grown up with the internet as part of your lives, your brains work differently than those of us who didn't grow up in that, having that as a base of our lives as when our brains were forming. So you have, I think, more potential to develop and understand and move beyond than people of my age do. Well, thanks for setting that up for us because we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing if it weren't for your adoption of the technologies that came before it. So every every generation is just a product of the previous generation's actions. Most definitely. Yes. You know, yeah. like you guys started watching the TV and, you know, like like you said, grandma couldn't even change the station on a radio. It's really easy to do. It's yes. one of the easiest things anyone's ever done with any piece of technology, actually. But she just never figured out how to do it. Because something that happened to her, like the radio came out when she was like 30. Yeah, and, has, and she had know? someone else to do it for her. So Yeah, well, she did after that. Yeah, totally. maybe she, her whole life she did. But she it's not like she was born with a radio. And that's the point you're trying to make, right? She was not born with it, thereby it's not intrinsically built into her. And I think that there's something to be said for the millennial generation because we weren't all born with phones in our hands, but we had phones before we were 16 and definitely had smartphones before we were 21. Yeah. So our brains weren't like hardened and solidified as adult uh, brain matter before the phone came out, which must be difficult because a lot of your brain becomes sort of like unmalleable. I know that's not the right term, but um, less able to be changed as time goes on. Like if you don't learn a language by the time you're X numbers of years old, it becomes substantially more difficult to speak that language, especially without a really thick accent over the course of time. Um, yeah, dead on. Book. You read a book, Mom. Yes. I read I a book. I want to hear about this book. Okay. So I will try to be brief. I would recommend this book to any of you who are interested in making a better world, which I assume that you all are since you participate in these podcasts. The name of the book is The Ministry for the Future. The author is Kim Stanley Robinson, 
And essentially, it begins with the world melting down, the earth, the only one place that we at the present time have to live. And the Ministry for the Future are people who are trying to find ways to solve climate problems, banking problems, war problems, just all the problems of the world. The thing that's pertinent to the conversation that we're having today is that these people who they are elders on this board find a way for the banking system and the blockchain the central banking system and the blockchain system to work together to force carbon polluters by by giving them I'm not explaining this very well it's complicated but they have carbon coins which they give to polluters promising them a guaranteed return for sequestering carbon. And the implications that that has for regenerating the earth are pretty complicated, more than I can talk about here. But that was a way for me to be able to understand blockchain as a ledger, as a documentation, as opposed to a currency system. Boom. It is. You're right. And that we talked about the double spend problem and why a ledger is necessary and why a ledger run by a non-interested party is the biggest uh, point that we can make of that. Someone it, it is not run by someone who has an interest in anything. It's run by a thing that has the interest of everyone and so, everyone decides what that interest is. And what you're talking about is something that we've been talking about for the last, I don't know, two or three years on ontology podcasts. Talking or not podcasts, uh, Twitter spaces, talking about the positive reinforcement, rather blockchain facilitating the potential of positive reinforcement to curtail action that is not favorable for the human race or for, you know, the, the, the biosphere that we live in in general, the entire earth. We decide what as, as a group, as an aggregate, we decide what the goal is, and then we use blockchain in order to reward progress towards that goal. And one of those ways to do that would be to spin up a token that then eventually rewards better behavior as we see it by companies who are otherwise in- incentivized towards poor behavior. So like in the case of carbon emissions. So and yeah, that's perfectly absolutely relevant. fascinating book because it it has fictional but believable examples of how that actually can work. Storytelling is the way that we meme things that don't exist yet into existence. Storytelling is how language forms. We uh, talk to my young friends who use words that are different than the words I use. And although I feel stupid saying some of them because they're not like words I recognize, like the word riz. Riz means like coolness. You can have riz, you can have coolness. I keep using this example. Yeah, yeah, dude. Is that where that comes from? I think so. Mom, holy shit. How did you figure that out before I did? You say that your brain doesn't work the way mine... I listened to a radio broadcast that they were talking about that. Man, it's short for charisma. I think Get so. The I just fuck out of here. I can't. I just that. love you. <laughs> That's crazy. How did you know that? All right. Well, anyway, I didn't make it up. Believe me. Your mom so, has riz, man. That was insane. You're right. Yeah, your mom, mom does have riz. riz. Holy shit. Okay, I'm I'm floored. Um, I just stopped dead in my tracks. People use these words that they make up or they didn't make up. It's a shortening of a word because why does charisma need to be that long? There's no other. We're not going to confuse Riz for something else, right? Language was inefficient and it's not crowdsourceable. It's not like 
Charisma is something you have to you have to learn that word in school and it's many syllables and the spelling of it doesn't make any sense at all, right? So this is crowdsourced language evolution by memeing. It's just a cultural piece of information that passes from piece to piece. Storytelling, like in sci-fi novels, whether it is an account of something that actually could happen or couldn't or would or wouldn't, doesn't really matter. What matters is that people are interested in reading about it, and it changes the way that they view the world in some way. Humpty, please. No, I just wanted to allude to something uh, that I think is pretty evident based on the conversation right now and a lot of what Elaine has uh, already talked about. One of those things is the format in which we consume our content has changed over time, right? We're talking about like books. And by the way, Elaine, thank you so much for that. I've already added it to my shopping list. I will be buying that as soon as this call is done. That sounds like an incredible book. It Um, is incredible. I'm glad you're going to read it. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Down to radio. Then moving from like that audio format, of course, spaces can be put into the same audio format to TikTok, right? And we see how there's like a generational shift both in terms of the the methods by which we transmit these stories, but also the time or the length of time in which we tell these stories. You can see that even from YouTube to TikTok, we've gone from long-form content to very, content to very, 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 very short, abridged content. Um, and I think that also goes to uh, language and how we choose to use words and how culturally uh, we can accept words going from charisma to being something even shorter to riz because, hey, maybe you only have eight seconds to communicate something, why would you spend uh, the extra two syllables to finish, you know, to kind of transmit that idea? So it's it's just really interesting. And I think also something that us who are working in a space that is very novel and emergent to consider the way that we also consume content and can then communicate that in which, uh, in ways that maybe, you know, Elaine understood much more quickly than you did, Donnie. I think that's just really wonderful. It's efficient. It's, It's just more efficient than the thing we've been using before. And I think of my word of the year, if I had to pick a word of the word of the year so far and like guarantee that this is probably going to remain my word of the year, it's, it's entropy because everything is going to find its path of least resistance and fall into whatever controlled chaos we can manage with the lowest input. And it, it ought to, because why would we overcomplicate things? It doesn't make any sense to do that. So if the word charisma can just be shortened to riz because there's not a word charisma or schmarisma. You know, like there's no other word that sounds anything like it. So Riz is the piece of that word that is like no other. Um, and it represents what it has to trying to shorten charisma, uh, charisma the same. <laughs> shorten charisma. You know, I was actually being something really careful. There, <laughs> I was being really careful not to do that, even though I probably would do that. If nobody was listening, I'd be walking around the house saying it over and over You'd again. You'd be going, charisma, right just like, <laughs> No, I, I hear what you're saying, but there's, um, you know, there's different languages like machismo, like chiz. Do you have any chiz? I mean, you know, I think we're being a little bit, uh, a little full bit, uh, yeah, a little Head bit full of it here, guys. A little Head too much, machi- but too much chiz on this Riz chat. Yeah, too we much. can, we can edit this out, but why would we, you know, this is human. This is reality. This is entropy at its best. De-evolution de- de- into chaos. Well, I think we went over words. We went over the book, the possibility of the long-term impacts of blockchain, why blockchain is inaccessible. You know, like we're not going to come to any end of anything today. Um, But does anybody have anything else to add? I I guess I have a couple of more questions, but I'd like to hear if anybody's been saving something up. Uh, Anything? Uh, Yeah, I just wanted one one more Riz pun. There's Turismo, you know, about touring, like, you know. Grand uh, Grand Turismo. Grand Turismo. 
Yeah, so I just wanted to you know cover all, all the international um, um, you know data uh, you know data points and uh, or I mean a conversation point. Machismo, machismo. You have. I'm just. I'm going to stop doing this out loud because I'm sure I'm going to say something that I wish I wouldn't have by accident because you know that's how that that's how that works. And only when yeah, other I, people I, are listening. I, 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 I have a question for your mom. Hey mom, what's up? How you doing? I'm bullish on moms. I, I thank my mom every day. <laughs> <laughs> I thank my mom. Make sure you call your moms and, and your dads uh, because they, they could have, you know, used contraception and, and we wouldn't be here. So a lot of respect for that. OK. Amen. Um, so, but that wasn't my question, um, mom. Um, yeah, because you know the answer do, already because I'm yeah, here. Do, do, are, are you are you interested in this ecosystem at all? Or are you going to walk away from it like you learned something? You're like, no, I'm out. I'm going to just enjoy the rest of my life and let Donnie take, uh, you know over in his hand in, 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 in the space with us. Doug, you feel like, man, I want to like, you know, keep dipping my feet in or come back to a space and slowly matriculate. Well, like, what do you feel about it after all this uh, fun discussion about Riz and Chiz and all that stuff? I don't know if I will ever be as engaged as all of you are, but I'm not ruling out the possibility of having more interactions. I do want to say that I'm very fascinated by looking at my screen here and seeing how all of you are popping little emojis on your PFPs, and I have no idea how you're doing that. There's a but little heart really button on the bottom right. So there's a there's a purple comment box on the bottom right. Next to it is a heart with a plus. If you tap that, a little menu will open up, and you can add emojis while oh. people are talking so that you can – and this is a way of of garnering the crowd's sentiment without – making more than one person talk at a time. That's how you can support what other persons are saying or, yeah, that's exactly. pretty cool. I had and no idea. Them, you can hold down and change the color of them. So if you want to be uh, the black hand or the white hand or the tan hand or a purple heart or a black heart or a red heart or whatever, you can be as close to yourself or the way that you want to be perceived as you can. It's a, it's a pretty like concise way of allowing people to look the way they look and say what they want to say without having to interrupt. Yeah, Humpty. And is this, excuse me, just one more thing. Is this yeah, yeah. how people raise their hand? Are yeah, there's a that? hand all the way to the right. Okay. I, I never understood that. So that's really cool to know. It's your first space. Yeah. It is. Barbara, what's up? Welcome. Hey, um, I'd like to say that this has been one of the most interesting um, episodes of this podcast because it shows us how when we have these conversations with people who are not in the space with us, how we're actually supposed to have that conversation. And before I continue, I would like to say hi to your mom and hi to B. Um, it's just been, in I've not in in interjected or interrupted because I was just simply enjoying the, the conversations and your responses. Because when I have these conversations with my mom, sometimes I just give up because I have no idea how to continue, <laughs> you know, the explanations. But then um, hearing how Donnie is explaining uh, the concepts to you and the, com the follow-up uh, conversations and questions that follow, it's just, it's just really amazing. And I think that it's something that I'm definitely going to, uh, I'm definitely going to play back and understand how to have these conversations with, with other people here. So I just wanted to add that. It takes two to tango in that way. And it's I'm lucky that my mother is responsive and open-minded to any of this stuff. Because I think if I had any other set of parents, they wouldn't have listened to most of the podcast or read all the articles and really like done the legwork to become uncomfortable enough 
to to want to hear any of it. And I'm always thankful that uh, mom, and, my mother and father are my mother and father. Yeah, B. Yeah, I just, you know, very similar to what Barbara was saying, um, or I guess off of that rather, Donnie, you're someone who's always been really good at explaining difficult concepts. You're very good at explaining things. You're very thorough. And if you got to the end and I said, <laughs> I don't get it, you'd start over and you'd use, you'd use different verbiage. And so I think, of course, you're great at explaining that to your mom. But like you said, that goes two ways. And I don't know if anyone else noticed this, but whenever I hear mom talk, it sounds so similar to the way Donnie talks and communicates. And so I... I noticed I, that. And I didn't it's notice so it ever clear. before. I, seriously, so I, when she started talking at first, I was like, this is where I get it. This, this is what I yeah. sound like. And that's why I think you guys need to do some more of these, or, you know, we all have to do more of these um, podcasts or spaces because the two of you together, I've actually noticed this sitting at the dinner table or sitting outside on the patio with you guys. It's um, It's very clear where you get some of that thoughtfulness and just your communication style and skills you hear that mom you're autistic too i just wanted to thank you for inviting me into this community i i think that my community in my geographical location is so important to me for acceptance and truth and figuring out problems and i'm delighted to see how this community is working for all of you and i'm thanks for inviting me to it Thanks for joining, Mom. It really it means a lot for you to see this because I talk a lot about it, but it's difficult to fathom the meaning that it can have. It, when you just like, if I were to screenshot this and show you a picture of a cartoon woman, a guy with a purple background, a monkey with a fez on, and whoever else is here, you know, with any their variety of different ways of expressing who they are, uh, this like doesn't make it doesn't translate until you feel it and you get to see that there are genuine connections made in this space and they are sort of boundaryless in terms of geographic area unless people are sleeping because they have to you know so like in australia it's tough to keep up with my friends who are in australia but i have been able to garner connections that uh make sense you know or can be long lasting and we can end up in the same place at the same time but again thank you for being open enough to do this and show up i have one explanation that you kind of asked for and one final question, if you've got time for that. I know it's 2.11 where y'all are. So, I've got time. So, Mom, um, bull versus bear market, This something that helped me remember what this means is the bull market is when things are going up and the bear market is when things are going down. That's because when a bull attacks, they swipe upward. And when a bear attacks, they swipe downward. Just just like physically, that's how they do that thing. So the bull, when the bull charges and swipes, it's like it's, it nudges its head upward, right? And then when the bear is like batting things away from it, it is swiping downward. That's the whole point. And what the reason I even brought that up is that I, I was starting to say that I'm scared of the next bull market because there are going to be people who enter it with a subpar level of knowledge. Not that I'm judging how much they know, but they are not going to know enough to navigate the bull market well. And they're going to get scammed because people do get scammed because it's a flurry of financial wellness that happens just out of the blue seemingly and where there is a host there will be a parasite so I'm, I'm glad that we're able to have conversations like this at the bottom here when those people aren't around no one is like here for a financial opportunity or if they are they're not here just for a financial opportunity they're here because they really want to do something that sort of like is important and educational or they want to learn or they want to teach or they want to 
build and support and blah, blah, blah. They're not here to launch something that looks like something else, but in reality is just a cash grab. And I was a victim of a lot of cash grabs two or three years ago without knowing it because I, you know, Dunning-Kruger, I thought I knew enough to navigate the place and I didn't. And I'm worried for the next bunch who are going to fall victim to quite the same thing. Um, that was the only reason I even brought up the bull and bear market. And uh, I, it, it was one of those things that seemed pertinent at the time because I think we were talking about like accessibility and hurdles. This space moves, if the stock market moves at 10% blips over the course of many years up and down, cryptocurrency moves at like 80% blips over the course of fewer years up and down. So there's a lot more volatility and it's much easier, although you hear a lot of success stories about people you know, retiring overnight on some like shitcoin like Dogecoin or something, um, there are many more stories of people being kind of taken advantage of because for everyone who wins when they sell something, there's someone who had to buy that thing and then likely lost. So I think illustrating this, that it moves with a quickness and decisiveness that is not apparent to a first-time observer, um, it's like it's like trying to surf in the world's scariest wave pool. You know, if you don't you don't really know what you're doing, it's easy to just get sucked under. Um, so your hesitance is not unwarranted, I guess is what I mean to say by that. Turk, what's up? No, interesting point. In my opinion, uh, I think, you know, in general, people's uh, pain points to um, about money and how they need it are sometimes far greater and also connected to the pain they feel when they don't get to create what they want to create. So like you have artists that are coming here to create and it might be tied to money as well. It, eventually it will be because if an artist is creating outside of this ecosystem and they're and they're trying to get a leg up, it's hard to break that old, you know, inf that infrastructure in Web2 where if you're not in a gallery already, you've just got to wait your turn where those opportunities in this ecosystem, you have unknown artists that if their work is good they they will be able to do a drop you're seeing it happen on on bitcoin you're happy you're seeing it happen on other chains and stuff like that so i get let me just try to reshape this is that i think a lot of people will continue to get uh you know fall fall victim to opportunities of scams because they think there is money that, that in this ecosystem um as opposed to just being patient, which I think if you haven't learned patience in this space, you're not doing Web3 enough and you're not doing it correctly. Um, uh, yeah, if you haven't, if I, uh, you will. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you will. So it's it's um, it, it's just always good because there's scams everywhere outside of this space. I mean, where there's money, there's a scam. So I think there, there just needs to be patience and, you know, why you're here. And I think that during this bear with the people that are building, they understand they've been through some scams and and and, and the ones that are retained uh, are here building. And, and, and a lot of people have been shaken out. But when it gets resurged, you know, you're going to have the opportunists come back and stuff like that. So anyway, I, I hope that was clear. Uh, it's early. Well put. Um, and yeah, thanks. Yeah, man, that that is that reinforces the point that um, that it's an angle also that I didn't cover that because of these very volatile swings of in extreme interest and total lack of interest, there's a lot more opportunity at the bottom to get your foot in the door when you don't have to be a, like an established already showing artist in order to express yourself through art and eventually maybe even start a career in art. It's it's possible to do here at the bottom because there's less noise and there's less uh, maybe, I guess, gatekeeping is, is a good word for it. You know, like there's there's more democracy, even though that's not the right word. You know what I'm saying? Equity. There's more yeah. equity. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like to say, uh, especially on the Bitcoin side of things and a lot of the chats that we're in and the spaces is that it, instead of a, a gatekeeping, uh, I, I like to um, sort of like exert like gateway rather like open door. Let's talk, um, you know. So uh, anyway. Yeah, everybody is innocent or valuable until proven to be guilty or destructive. And that, that yeah, you're right. I, there's something I, something really pure about the way this space um, welcomes and purges its participants. Um, something something that really is like, it feels honest in a way that isn't always the case face-to-face. So there's another deep dive we could go on, how we interact in better, more human ways from afar through these means. Um, yeah, uh, the, you know? the other thing, sorry I keep Mac trucking this, I, as no, you please. said I could do. Um, you know, uh, just thinking about your mom here, and, and it sort of like invokes uh, all of us to kind of rehear these things, and it's like going to the mental gym every day. Like, we have to. Like, even though your mom's here, she's smart, and it, it's, it's producing some conversation, uh, I think, you know, as somebody who goes – let's say somebody who goes to the gym every day to, to just keep on top of their own life physically. Um, you know, th- these, th- th- these rehash conversations are good for us too, even though they sound like, Hey, we've been through this. What's new. Let's, let's, let's talk about, you know, uh, what, what's new in the news with ordinals or whatever the hell we're doing. Um, so w- w- which I wanted to go back to that point is that in this space, mom, uh, and in general, um, so like if, if, in web two, if I do a TV show and I'm the, if I'm the showrunner and I'm, you know, I'm the studio head, if, you know, you don't really get access to me, you know, like if you're a, if you bought tickets to my TV show, you're not in the discord talking to me, I'm not taking your ideas. And also if the show sucks, it will get user reviews on IMDB, but people will tune in just to see how bad it sucks. But those people tuning in register as numbers and Nielsen ratings. So they might produce and get shows ordered, you know, for another season. Right. But in our space, like Donnie and I do a project together. We work on it for a year or two and then we finally, you know, you know, broadcast it and it's on the blockchain for people to buy and the mint doesn't go right. We're going to be fudded. And then, you know, instantly. And if we don't pivot correctly which we have the opportunity to pivot right then and there because it's happening in real time. That's also the beauty of this space. If you realize that pivot is your next move where you can continue to either crumble and not take the, uh, the criticism well, or you can go, listen, heard, I heard your criticisms. We are actively trying to pivot. And that's, what's beautiful about this space. So a lot of people are brutally honest in a very negative way to, to, to some extent. And, but they also have access to me and Donnie cause they've been in our discord talking to us on a daily basis. And we have taken their, 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 their input and helped reshape the project or the direction of it in some, in some instances. So like, like if you, if you're a stock owner in like say Apple or like say Exxon for God knows why, uh, cause of oil, I guess, um, it, you might get a biannual report through an email because you own stock, but you're not talking to the CEO. But it, so in this space, there's a lot of pluses, but there's also a lot of br- brutal honesty. And if you don't pivot correctly, then you're going to, you know, crawl back to your hovel and cry and maybe go somewhere else. You know, anyway, I hope I made some points there. Um, it, it just begs for another conversation um, in, in this scenario. Cheers.
this will not be the last time we talk about it. We can we can think of the Web3 dynamic as a sort of compressor for input and output, where it brings the bottom, like the most ugly things, up to the attention of the project owner, and it brings the top, the most exciting reviews, also back down to the attention of the product owner or fabricator in a way that is much more human. And I think it goes back to the concept of equity, where the people who pay the most attention will have the most say because they're the ones who show up in the Discord server and provide the actual input. Um, and anybody who doesn't like that can come in and do quite the same thing. There is no real bar from that, unless the creator, you know, there's always ways to to make this uneven. Um, I wanted to clarify a term for mom and B though, FUD. FUD, when you FUD something or get FUDded, it's, it's, it's an acronym for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So that's for someone to come in and be like, this isn't going to work. You're not going to make it. You're not doing the right thing. I'm doubting it. I'm not certain I want to be here and I'm afraid it's going to fail. You know, FUD, that's what FUD means. Last question, if either of you have time. Oh, mom, I see you. I just want to say thanks for clarifying that because I was going to ask what FUD meant. It's like we, it's like I came out of you, you know, doesn't it feel <laughs> like that sometimes? Yeah, weird. <laughs> um, last question. And this goes for either of you or neither of you. If you don't care to answer it, it doesn't matter. Um, what would make you want to interact with this space? Like, is there a thing you can think of in your life that could use improvement through this space? Or do you just kind of sit back and wait for it to play out and see what happens? And if something surfaces, then you do it. Well, I just have to say that I am now in my car. How's, how's my sound? Is it horrible? No, you're golden. Okay, cool. I'm... I think for me, honestly, I've the more time I've spent with the space and just hopping on the Twitter spaces or, you know, being more involved in Discord or seeing the community more, the more interested I am. I'm someone you already know this who struggles with like consistency and I can get distracted easily and I always have a lot of different things that I'm doing, but I I've already really seen the value in just this whole community it's it's more welcoming of a community than any I've ever entered and obviously there's a lot of hope for just financial stability and you know additional security and all of that but more than anything I think the community that that you guys have going here is really beautiful thanks I agree it feels like that and that's why I keep on showing up if it was alone it wouldn't be any fun because at the end of the day, people is about people. And there is no no one wants to live alone and tell jokes to themselves. Maybe no one is not a good way to put that. Very few people would find value in telling jokes alone, put it that way. And this is a way that we get to um, express that to the most people we can on the most regular basis. Mom, what do you say? Well, I, I think that I don't have a whole bunch to contribute, but I may show up again to hear all the interesting things that you all are talking about and see how you interact and support one another. And maybe I'll find I have something to contribute, but I don't feel like that right now. Yeah, you don't have to. Like I said, there, you don't have to come up with something that needs, it's not your job to analyze your surroundings from the most objective standpoint you can find and find a way to sandwich blockchain into it. That's not- I don't, I guess I don't, I have not been familiar enough with blockchain to say that I've thought about ways it could solve problems that I have. Right. I have other ways that I'm used to solving my problems. So listening to you all is making that 
a little bit more interesting. I can't tell you how much it means for you to show up and do this. It like a huge amount, both of you. Um, even though B, I kind of expected it from you because we were on a Twitter space last night, which by the way, and I, I don't know if I'll have to edit this out. I don't see why I would. E7, my friend down there at the in the listener crowd, reads aloud on Twitter spaces one of the very first, like the original erotica novel. And he's gone through three sessions of three chapters now. And it's been one of the most uh, unexpectedly exciting and like introspective things I've heard in a long time. And he's laughing because there's, it's, it's gross really like by modern standards, this original erotica was it by George Bataille. It's called the story of the eye. Um, really strange content, things that like, I thought like internet porn was kind of like weird and gross in a lot of ways and like tentacles. Like there's just so much, stuff that like you're like why would anyone even want to see this you know like we i I understand that we can but why would we want to man george bataille in the 20s i think it was like a hundred and some odd years ago knocks it all out of the that you porn doesn't stand a chance against the pictures that this guy paints with just words and i think this this allows us to place ourselves in e7 tell me if i'm wrong here it allows us to place ourselves in time in a way that we otherwise can't. Like we we see that the car was different in the 1920s and the television didn't exist. The postal service was different. The gold standard applied to money. Like there were so many things like data points that we can say time was different. People were different. Everything was different. It was not different in the same way that we think it was though. And this is evidenced by books like this. Ethan, did you have anything you wanted to add about that? I just, I wanted to shout out that you do that because I think one, it's brave and two, it like has made me feel differently about time and humanity in a way I didn't see coming. No, you're good. I just want to say thank you for the shout out. <laughs> I'm just listening to the space right now. This podcast. It'll be a podcast. Currently, it is a space. And the good thing about that is we can do whatever we want and then we can just cut out the last hour of it if we decide that, you know, or talk about 1920s pornography. Uh, doesn't fit the bill, which maybe it doesn't. Maybe we will take that, talk that out. But um, before we begin to wrap it up, I just wanted to say this has been Don't Say NFT, episode 12, labeled Normies. It's a wrap-up for the series that started with blockchain and ended with art. And everywhere in between was community, reputation, identity, artifacts, um, every piece of the digital asset puzzle that we could reasonably fathom or have a, 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 an interesting conversation about without going so far that no one wanted to hear it. Um, this is the last episode of the podcast, but it is not the last podcast that we will do. We'll find another concept and we'll find another way to push through an idea that we don't see anyone has pushed through yet, or at least hasn't done it the way we would. My name is Donnie Clutterbuck. I've been your host. Thank you for Crypto Sapiens for the production, or thank you to Crypto Sapiens for the production, and thank you, Bankless Dow, for the ongoing support. I tried to co-host from the Crypto Sapiens account earlier today, but I got kicked off at Sorry Humpty. I didn't have time to 2FA it with you. Now we can just close it if no one has anything else to say, or we can keep talking. Does anybody have any final remarks, anything that they want to comment on before we buzz off? I just want to say thanks. It's been really interesting to hear all of you talk. Ma, thank you. <clears throat> yeah, I just wanted to uh, kind of second something you said there uh, at the closing, and that is... We're trying something with this uh, series uh, that Donnie has so uh, incredibly put together, uh, both the curated conversations and the people that he's brought up. 
and then concluding it in this way, which I think is like probably one of the most unique ways I've ever seen these types of conversations or even spaces being hosted. And that is, um, Johnny and I have been talking about how we can put this into some sort of um, you know article format, long form that describes the journey uh, that Donnie has taken uh, from the beginning, episode one, through the end here, which is episode 12, the intention, right? And in terms of like, what was the point of all of this, uh, which I think this conversation is the best way that I can think of describing that, which is all of this has been a journey to try to understand how we can do better to describe the work that we do in the space that we're building uh, so that we can actually promote uh, the onboarding to the millions of people that we claim to but fail to on a daily basis. Um, and so keep your eyes open for uh, that coming soon. And my goal is to get that in the hands of some of the major Web3 publications to bid on so that we can expose this conversation to a much wider audience um, and really have it be the beginning of something better in terms of the tools that we build, the conversations that we have, so that we can actually make the impact that we uh, say that we want to. But um, again, I don't think that we're doing the best job yet. But I think this conversation is a vehicle towards all of that. So thank you, Donnie. You're a rock star. Thank you, Humpty. It takes a while for us to get to the point where anything makes sense <clears throat> to everybody that we want it to make sense to. And I think that's a good thing. I think that slow adoption is safe. And if everybody adopts a system that's not yet tried and tested and proven and has holes poked in it, then we can all fail at the same time. And it can be a detriment rather than a progressive item. So it's good that not everybody is on board and it's good that we have time to poke holes in this and figure out how to build it and represent it better um, through, through the many ways that everybody does that, whether it's, you know, in the terms of building, let's say there's construction workers and office occupants and project managers. It requires every piece of this ecosystem to continue being it. It requires people to hold down the fort in the bad times or the financially bad times like right now. So there's no rush. We're always trying to do better. And all I can hope is to be some part of that. And thanks to anybody who has put time and effort into, I don't know, assisting in whatever vision we all have of this. So thanks. And thanks, Mom. And thanks, B, for showing up. Thanks, Ethan, for reading porn on the internet. That is just, it's like changing my worldview insanely. And uh, shit. Thanks, y'all. This has been another episode of Don't Say NFT, the show where we usually don't say NFT. Thanks again to Crypto Sapiens, Bankless Dow. Have a great day, everybody.